0: Yes, you're wrong. The podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. And I'm Shelby and I'm here with Matt.
1: (laughs) Yes, and I am here today under protest because I thought that this was going to be a Castle Rock themed podcast. And I watched one episode and was very excited about it. And then I get a text from Shelby that's like, "Uh, Matt, everybody actually really likes Mission Impossible (laughs) I keep wanting to say Mission Impossible Fallen Kingdom. That's not it. (laughs) Just Fallout. Mission Impossible Fallout. So we have to do a podcast on that. So then I had to go friggin' see this movie which was blocked on MoviePass which that's a (laughs) whole other story. But so then I was like, fine, I'm gonna bite the bullet and buy friggin' AMC Premiere Stubs Plus Mm -hmm. Front Row or whatever Mm -hmm. the program is called so that I could go see this movie. It's like two and a half hours long. And now I'm here to talk about
0: it. Listen, I had the best intentions. I don't even like Stephen King. And I was going to watch that whole show. And then I just realized, you know, this is a cultural moment, whether you like it or not. And if we are claiming to be a pop culture podcast, we have to discuss it. And it was amazing. So (laughs) I'm happy to be here.
1: We we can get into the movie later, but I would just like to say yeah. that I officially, at this point to date, <laughs> have some kind of like chip to be uh, used in a later podcast where when you want me to watch something, I'll be like, nope, we're watching something completely different and it's probably going to be something very dry and depressing during Oscar season. So look forward well, to I, that. Yeah.
0: I told you that if it's trending on Twitter like Mission Impossible Fallout was, then I'll I'll do it. Anything anything you ask. <laughs> so we'll just but have to you wait for kn- one you of
1: know the- whatever movie I want to watch <laughs> is not going to be trending on Twitter and that is how you are twisting the rules of this already.
0: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Ugh. We can watch some Oscar contenders that you'll inevitably like more than the general public because that's your MO. Yeah, going against the grain
1: No just going with the critics You know that's like what it is Except for this movie
0: <laughs> Critics yeah, inexplicably this like movie. this
1: one And I it's don't know why
0: But we'll get into that The point is we're here on episode 5 There's a lot to cover But we're yes. so excited to have listeners to be, um, to be out there on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play So you should find us Subscribe and uh, leave a review A comment, a like Whatever it is that you can do
1: <laughs> Yeah and we have Social media on all the different platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a Gmail. You can uh, send us your emails if you have longer thoughts about the podcast in general. They're all P.S. You're wrong. And, And this is our first podcast that we are recording since our podcast came out. Which is exciting.
0: I know it's like we're live and at it. It's a real deal now.
1: <laughs> Our children are like running around in the world, and it's uh, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I've have gotten like Instagram messages from people saying that they've listened to it. I've had people referencing things. My coworkers have been like um, uh, fact checking things that I've said on the podcast. So you know, it's a it's a good day. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. We've gotten some positive feedback, some criticisms to really take in stride and, and become better from, you know, so nice. it's all criticism. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for once, we finally have like a full week of pop culture tidbits to pull from for our Tell Me Something I Don't Know segment. And I'm really excited about it because I feel like it was a very eventful week.
1: Oh, yeah. I have a lot of things to talk about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Start us off, Matt. Um, Well, I feel like this
1: is near and dear to your heart, Shelby. And so we should probably (laughs) get it out of the way early. I want to talk about it. Two of my least favorite uh, celebrities are teaming (laughs) up to do one of the least popular musicals of current time. And that is the fact that Taylor Swift and James Corridan are going to be starring in a <laughs> cats musical movie remake. Who is asking for this, Shelby? Is anyone asking for this movie?
0: It's not me. I really don't get it. I Yeah, listen. So I love Taylor Swift. It's <laughs> you can't avoid that fact about me. I have a Taylor Swift podcast, but I do not get the cats thing and I really just keep hoping it's it's fake news. I just don't get it. I don't know why she'd choose to do that. I don't know why anyone actually would choose to Yeah. So
1: so break this down for me a little bit. I know that she obviously like she has two pet cats, and so she likes the animal cats. Have (laughs) we ever seen anything from her that like she likes this musical in any particular way?
0: I don't think anyone's made reference to this musical since I've been alive. Like (laughs) I understand it had its moment. I understand like it was a huge deal on Broadway. Like it was the longest running show or something. But I thought we all moved past it and it was just kind of like that embarrassing 80s thing that happened once. So I was really shocked to hear that it was getting not only like a resurrection, but a film creation. Because I don't know, is it going to be like live action? Are they going to be in cat costumes or is it going to be like the Jungle Book where they're voiced voice actors? Like, I don't get it. You know,
1: these are all really good questions
0: i kinda wanted to be i kinda wanted to be animated cats or not animated but just cgi cats that are like just hanging out in an alley singing dramatic songs <laughs> that'd be great
1: like non-stylized
0: <laughs> yeah it's just raw yeah dirty street cats with taylor swift's voice kept coming out of it <laughs> i don't know i don't get it
1: i bet you anything that james corden is behind this i because he <laughs> he's comes up with as many different ways to try to shoehorn his singing ability into his like tv show he's probably obsessed with cats and was like hmm i wonder if like we're gonna do a remake of this solely so that i can do it and then i don't know how he managed <laughs> to like blackmail taylor swift into being in this but Cause has she been in any movies since? What was that one that she was in with Taylor Lautner, like way back in the day?
0: Um, she has been in an animated film with Zac Efron, The Lorax, and she was in um, Valentine's Day, and she had a small role in The Giver. But other than that, she's never really dabbled in in film (laughs) and I just don't know why she would now and it seems like a weird character departure from her like rep era of being like oh I don't like the public anymore and like I'm focused on my fans and like I don't really care about fame and accolades or whatever Yeah. so it's just like why is she hopping on board this weird (laughs) this really weird movie I don't know how they're gonna do it Oh,
1: I will be excited to see it. And I'll probably have to go see it for the podcast. Um, What is on the top of your list of things that I might not know, Shelby?
0: Um, so top of my list, this happened early on and has continued to be a point of conversation is the Netflix show Insatiable.
1: Oh, have you heard
0: anything about this?
1: I I did read an article about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it like released its first teaser. And it's all about this, this fat girl in high school, who's played by some Disney star, I think, and she's wearing a fat suit.
1: Is it? Is it like? Debbie Ryan or Debbie? I want to say her name is Debbie. I that feel like she sound, was on Sweet Life, like the Sweet Life. <laughs> no, I think it was one show. Like,
0: after our our generations. I think it was like in the weird like phase of shining new Disney Channel shows. I didn't know. She wasn't
1: the Ashley Tisdale replacement. That is what I'm envisioning (laughs) her as. But maybe Maybe. I'm wrong.
0: (laughs) But anyways, she's in this new show called Insatiable. That's about this fat girl who gets her jaw broken and is sealed shut. And so then she loses weight, becomes this hot girl and enacts revenge on anyone who would ever bullied her. And there's this huge blowback about it being fat shaming and like a really damaging message about how you have to be pretty to like be worth it. You can't be confident if you're fat and like also the fat suit itself was seen as very problematic, and there's just like a lot a huge push for cancellation someone started someone started a campaign and like got hundreds of thousands of signatures. And Netflix has sort of been hush-hush on it, but the, the actors in it have kind of released statements that are like, you don't know the whole show. And I think the writer slash director was like, I was fat once and like, this speaks to my experience and like, blah blah So it's sort of interesting because I like see a lot of the criticisms. Like it is sort of like, do we need another show that makes jokes over a fat person's like a fat suit? And do we need a show that's about a girl who can't be happy with herself until she's skinny? But at the same point, we haven't seen the show. So who knows Like, if it handles it in a dark comedy sort of way where it kind of is self-aware of this criticism, you know? And I think that's what people are waiting to see.
1: Yeah, I think it's always tricky to be too hard on something when you haven't seen the full product of it, not like, oh, right, you see yeah, a commercial yeah. and you're like, oh, this is probably something that I wouldn't be interested in, so I'm not going to go watch it, but to, right. like, condemn it for doing something when you haven't seen the full version, this is yeah. not exactly the same situation, but I remember back in the day when Harry Potter came out, and, you know, <laughs> I went to, like, a Christian private uh, elementary school, <laughs> and the teachers uh-huh. were like, this is witchcraft, this is the devil, burn the <laughs> box. And my mom, yeah. like, who had hap- like accidentally let me read them at- before the hullabaloo began was like, what? There's yeah. like nothing wrong with it. It's like a bunch of people eating, like, moving chocolate frogs and, like, <laughs> painting talking to people. Like, yeah. no one is doing ritualistic sacrifice here. <laughs> um. So, yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, this is obviously different, but I sort of feel like, wait until, like, a couple episodes come out and then if it is bad, then, like, yeah, sure, tear it to shreds. Be my guest. But, like, Let's not do that based on a teaser trailer.
0: Right. And it's sort of like, I don't necessarily believe it'll be good. And I think even if they intended it to be like a smart sort of like scream queen style satire or whatever, I don't necessarily trust Netflix to be great at that. (laughs) They just haven't had the greatest track record for like good teen shows, I guess. I mean, 13 reasons why is hugely problematic, even though it turns out to be hugely successful. But I just don't know if the fact that they've refused to let people watch the show in like advance like let critics watch it to give a review or whatever is a good sign or a bad sign because it feels sort of like a bad sign Yeah, <laughs> like they just they just want people to think it'll be smarter but they don't want anyone to let it the cat out of the bag so that no one watches it and so now people will watch it to be like proven wrong they'll hate watch it or something so I guess we'll see I don't know <laughs>
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it fares. So I have uh, some more things that I would like to bring up. Yeah, of course. I don't know how closely you follow this, Shelby, but it is getting that time of year where the Oscar buzz for movies begins. And one of the earliest ways to tell if a movie is going to have Oscar buzz is if it plays the number of like how many fall festivals it plays. So there's really four big fall movie festivals. There's Toronto, Venice, New York and Telluride. And they're all sort of different and they, you know, pick different movies. But most of the big movies that get nominated for Oscars later in the year hmm. get slots in these film festivals. And so when you're looking at the film festival lineups, which have just come out, you can kind of like see, oh, this movie is in multiple of these festival lineups. So that means that it's probably going to be good. And it might have Oscar potential.
0: Nerd alert.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Lo and behold, I'm looking at the lineup for the Toronto Film Festival, and guess which freaking movie is on there that I complained about a couple weeks ago?
0: Cats. No,
1: not Cats. <laughs> that's that's not out oh, yet. Yeah. Idiot. Okay, no, okay. that Lady Gaga movie.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. It has, like, it has actual
1: Oscar buzz. People yeah. are like, this is going to be nominated. And I'm like, no. No, this can't be. That preview <laughs> looked so bad. So I feel like the narrative of this whole Oscar season is just going to be me like, please He's let like, this happen. No. Please let yeah. this happen. No, 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 no.
0: I know. Well, I mean, last year the Oscars were just like a hot mess. And you and I both agreed about three billboards being like the worst thing to ever happen to cinema. And so I think it'll be Ugh. interesting to see like what we hate that people love, but also Things that I love seeing the movie that gets the most amount of attention and then just like fizzles by the time the Oscars come around because I just I <laughs> I don't know I guess I'm sadistic that way, but like La La Land was Ugh. supposed to
1: I mean La La Land what La La Land did have a big front early push and then kind of like Moonlight caught up to it in the back yeah. half uh, right before the winner and both the director of La La Land and the director of um, Moonlight have new movies coming out that are playing these festivals, so it's interesting because they will be back up against each other once again, and then also a terrible Lady Gaga movie. But see, (laughs) I was I I was thinking back about last year, and I was like, oh yeah, like how miserable was that when I hated Three Billboards so much, and it just like kept winning things and being nominated. I was like, and I was hoping that this year there would be something that I was like very excited about that was going to be getting all of the buzz, and now no, it's frigging. (laughs)
0: Um, well, maybe you'll like face? it. Bradley
1: Cooper. Oh, a star no,
0: I doubt it. it. could. It's about singers down on their luck who find each other and then heal one another through song before probably one of them dies tragically or something.
1: Why wasn't Taylor Swift in that movie?
0: Because <laughs> it doesn't feature cats, I guess. Seems <laughs>
1: uh... <laughs> like it might have been a better choice for her, but you know. Yeah. Um, okay, what's next on your jacket?
0: Um, So there's a few that are sort of related, but I don't know what's going on this summer. Young Love is in the air because Nick Jonas just got engaged. I don't know if you like follow Nick Jonas, but he did. He got engaged and he got engaged to um, Priyanka. I should have looked up how to say this.
1: (laughs) Priyanka Chopra, the girl from Quantico.
0: yes. And she's like gorgeous and so out of his league just by looks alone, but also maturity. And like, I don't know what she sees in him. Maybe I'm just a Nick hater, but it's a weird relationship to me. But I mean, they're engaged. So that's crazy.
1: Have we talked about the fact that Nick Jonas has three front teeth? And that after you see it, you can't <laughs> see it. And now I'm scarred at looking at him every like forever because he he literally has three front teeth. Tom Cruise also has three front teeth, which is a whole nother thing and a reason Cruise why this has... movie is scary.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, they have off-centered teeth is what I think is the issue. It's not like they have an extra front tooth, you know? I don't
1: know because they have like three large teeth in the front. <laughs> It's not like they ha- It's not like they're like crooked. It's like they have three teeth that are the size of my two front teeth, but there's three of them.
0: Is that why he never does an open mouth smile? Because it like drives me nuts. He just always probably. Like, has his dumb He's smile. on to the
1: fact that he has <laughs> three front teeth too. Yeah,
0: it's like I can't show this. I'm literally googling him right now, and there's not a single photo of him smiling open mouth
1: yeah well, so. google google his teeth and there's a, and there's literally a photo that comes up where there's like numbers drawn on them where it's like one two three <laughs> on the front teeth i know this because i've looked this up before
0: you're right there is that's just, that's sad it's no one needs to point that out he's clearly insecure about it. he won't even smile naturally yeah, but he's
1: like rich just and famous me- he could have had invisalign <laughs>
0: Yeah, well anyways, he he managed to land priyana Chopra, so Good for him. I mean, something <laughs> something's working there. I mean, he closed down an entire Tiffany store in New York just to buy her an engagement ring.
1: Oh, wow. That's fantastic. And they've only
0: been dating for like the summer. Like that's what's crazy to me. It's like what is happening to everyone?
1: Okay. In ranking her and Nick Jonas, <laughs> um, Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson. And Justin Bieber <laughs> and Haley Baldwin which one of those Three people do you think will actually end up getting Married and then which ones will be Together the longest
0: I think I guess I think all of Them will end up getting married because like Why not oh,
1: I think that's but
0: <laughs> I would say the one who Has the most chance of lasting Oh I don't know. I guess Justin Bieber.
1: I think I agree. I don't know, (laughs) and that's a sad state of affairs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't explain even why I think that. But no, I mean, it's just a. It's just been a wild summer, and I think Pete and Ariana just don't seem as realistic to me because they're both just so emotional and sort of reactive. I mean i know this last week actually pete like deleted all of his social media because he couldn't take like the hate anymore and ariana was like you guys have to chill out and kind of went (laughs) went dark on social media so i think they're like in a weird bubble right now that will probably pop pretty quickly just because i don't know i don't know them i shouldn't be (laughs) Assuming to know their relationship, what is the but... point of
1: this podcast if we're not Shelby? Like, w- like, why are we here if we're not assuming we know things about these people that we've <laughs> never right.
0: met? You're right. I know. So that's my hot take on Ariana and Pete. But, yeah. but the theory is, is they're getting married August fourth. Actually, I saw this and I forgot to write it down. But they, I guess, his dad's badge number is eight four eighteen. And so people are like, I wonder if they'll just get married on that date since it's probably, you know, a special date to them, to him at least. So, we might know really fast if they at least make oh it my to the gosh, altar. It's
1: a hot mess and the the badge thing coming back up like no, no, no for this. <laughs> yeah. Um I I just saw before we got on this podcast, did you see that um Millie Bobby Brown and her boyfriend broke up. I didn't even know she was dating some like other
0: fifteen-year-old little thirteen-year-old
1: got dumped. And yeah, well, she They released one of those like statements of like (laughs) this was a mutual decision, and we both are friends, and we'll keep it. And I was like, like. This is a middle school breakup and you are acting like you are (laughs) Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Like, we have (laughs) six kids. We're separating the fortune. It's like, nobody cares. You and some rando, like, you don't need to release a statement.
0: I know. That's sad that she thinks she has to or that she feels she has to. I mean, people have been, like, on her about that relationship because he's like 16, I think. And, you know, she's like a tween. She's just this little 13-year-old. And she, like, posted this really... A sexy photo I mean not like sexy but just like ultra romantic it looked like you know a traveler's like Instagram photo but it was just like them looking at the moonlight and she made some cheesy post about how she wanted to look at them <laughs> for eternity with him or something well no one wants to be <laughs> an adult
1: more than Millie Bobby Brown she's like desperate I to know. be
0: an adult <laughs> I know so she had to get her first breakup out of the way I guess yeah
1: And coming from an adult, it's not that much fun. Like, I would avoid it at all costs if I could.
0: I know. Oh, I know. But I'm glad that they were able to mutually find that, like, maturity together to release that statement. Mm,
1: Yes. So mature.
0: (laughs) So grown up.
1: (laughs) Um, Do you have anything else?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, okay, first off, movie pass. Oh, yeah. It was like... I mean, just looking at our podcast alone, we started off the first episode being like, we love MoviePass. Mm -hmm. This podcast is inspired by MoviePass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then last episode, there was like, we were so resentful of of the surge pricing. And now it's like, man, it's just watching like, the saddest, most tortured death scene in history. It's just like, Oh, you know. But they're not
1: acknowledging it at all. Like, yesterday, <laughs> the whole thing was shut down. Like, the whole day, no one got tickets, and there's, like, no mention of it. They're like, what? nope. Like, we're not going <laughs> to. Like, you can tell that they're dying in the fact that whoever's running their Twitter account has already been let go. And they're like, yeah, no, they they'll, they'll figure out. it out yeah. themselves. But <laughs> they know we're not doing it. Well.
0: I know. I know, it's just radio silence. Everyone's talking about them. Everyone's reporting on them like taking out loans and and going black and like and then I found out through Twitter today that they were upping their monthly price to $15 and I like looked for a statement from them and they hadn't released yes. anything yet. But 3 minutes before we started recording this podcast, they sent an email and um he was basically like Sorry we've been sort of MIA. (laughs) And he just is like, I don't know who's running this company. Like, I wish I could sit down with them and like ask if they thought they did a good job because I think they've just been so weird about it. Cause It's like, just own up to the fact that you have too many subscribers and not enough money. And just like ask, just be like, hey, we're going to up the price or hey, we're going to limit the movies to three instead of just sneaking it in there and then sending an email that puts this like spin on it. That's like, oh, we like totally changed the game. And we're so proud of what we've done. And we're just ironing out some kinks. And like, we're so happy you guys chose to stay. And we're revolutionizing the movie business and oh yeah just fyi you won't be able to see new releases for two weeks (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like well, well wait like that's the point of this is we can see any movie we want any day and now they're saying some they're not only saying that the new releases will be held off for at least two weeks while they figure out how to pay for them but also they're saying that sometimes movie showtimes that are at theaters just won't be available through yeah. their app. Like, they'll just pick and choose which screens times to share. And then, then there's share.
1: still the surge pricing. On top of all of that, they could still surge you $8 <laughs> to go see, you know, I don't know Incredibles <laughs> 2.
0: I know. It's wild. It's just like, I don't know why they didn't just step back and think, okay, let's control this instead of, like, charging a ticket price to see a movie that we've already paid for yeah. through our subscriptions. So everyone's flocking to AMC. I think the AMC A list got like a hundred seventy thousand new subscribers within this last week and they were very proud of that fact you know they they were out on social media talking about that but movie pass is just pretending there's still three no, million I strong, mean I so. switched
1: because I was like I am an entertainment <laughs> professional now I have a podcast I can't just <laughs> yeah. like
0: you have responsibility yes, fans
1: need me to see these <laughs> the movies and give commentary on them but I was like yesterday I had needed to go see friggin' mission impossible and movie pass wasn't doing it. And I, and I thought AMC is a reputable company. Like if I pay for this thing, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more expensive. And yes, I can only go to AMC theaters, but if I want to see a frigging new movie, I can, and you can pick see like, <laughs> mo- like weeks in advance. So when the Harry, P- the new Harry Potter movie comes out, the moment the tickets go on sale, I can get like 3d IMAX, whatever the heck, three weeks in (laughs) advance and have it locked down. I don't have to worry about like, oh, is it going to, I'm going to have to wait three weeks and I'm going to have to pay a surge price. I'm going to have to go in the middle of the night (laughs) and see this under an alias and buy a ticket for a different movie and then sneak into another movie. It's like, there's so many like convoluted plans you have to go through to stick with movie pass. And I was thinking for $10, I'm not doing it. And now it's 15. So for $5, I'm sure as heck not doing
0: it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, it seems like AMC got the point of it like the movie pass to its credit really shook up the theater thing like people started going to move more movies and theaters had to pay attention to what people wanted and so they had a great idea and amc took it and made it like a actually feasible thing so it's like movie pass should have done what amc is doing but movie pa- amc also has the credit of not having to be a middleman they're just the They'll make total profit on every, you know, everything done through that app instead of MoviePass. Who has to pin, who has to spend full ticket price on those movies that probably only ca- cost the theater like you know three dollars for a person to go see a movie. So they're raking in all that money, whereas MoviePass really struggled to <laughs> to justify its existence. Yeah. Probably so. I hope AMC lasts for sure, cause I need my, <laughs> my limitless. Oh, movies. Yeah. Well, you know some
1: other like random companies that are also kind of on the way. And I saw that like Cinemark theaters has some kind of program going. Alamo Draft House has some kind of program going. Yeah, it's so great. they're all slightly different. But I think that where it's not like we're going to go back to a time period where everyone just has to pay individually for every ticket. There will always be some kind of <laughs> subscription service from now on. It just depends like what theater it's at yeah. and what the pricing and the op- are but yeah speaking of movie pass going down and kind of moving into mission impossible the box office for mission impossible this weekend while it was good it did not hit the like tracking expectation numbers (laughs) and people were saying that they thought it was because a or movie pass let none of their people see mission impossible (laughs) this weekend and that's why it didn't make as much money as they thought
0: Yeah, I mean, well, if they really do have 3 million subscribers and they didn't let any of them see MoviePass and the people who did maybe sneak in (laughs) through other means, still, you lose all those numbers. So it is, like, interesting to think of how much power MoviePass accidentally had (laughs) on a box office that no one wanted them to control. And so, yeah, poor Mission Impossible. I mean, I think most people saw it, you know, like movie pass doesn't know i saw it you know what i mean (laughs) movie pass
1: also doesn't know i saw it but amc does
0: (laughs) no i know poor movie pass i mean it was such a such a good ride how many movies did you end up seeing do you know on movie pass
1: i think i saw 38 movies with movie pass so that's since christmas which is a good chunk
0: wait i've seen like 67 do i have no life is it just that's all i do (laughs) I just go see a movie. I had it since September. You had it a lot longer yeah.
1: than I did, though, didn't you? I had it
0: from September, so almost a year. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I didn't get it until after all of the, like, you know, all of, like, the holiday movies last year. Right. So,
0: yeah. I went and saw Greatest Showman at least four times. So <laughs> that's probably, that inflates the number a little bit. But it's just like, what a time to be alive. You know, we really got to ride that wave. And I think we, really got our money's worth through it so we can't yeah. be too mad that they you
1: really did the best job with it that you possibly <laughs> yeah. could you were the reason why it is failing i, am,
0: I am probably am their worst their most hated customer because i really yeah. really took them up on every every opportunity to see literally any movie
1: yeah that's ridiculous
0: <laughs> yeah uh but my last movie with them i guess was mission impossible so it's good that this can be like yeah, our but what episode. Was the,
1: what was your actual last movie
0: with them? <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, I think we went to a showing of Sorry to Bother You. Is that mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sorry to Bother You might have had a huge tick in in yeah. <laughs> viewings during the weekend because I think a lot of people found that work around to work. So, Yeah.
1: Yes. My last movie movie pass was The First Purge, which I am, <laughs> would not have seen without Movie Pass. So thank you for yeah. that.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited to talk about Mission Impossible. Obviously, I dragged you into this. You haven't seen any other ones, right? No. So I have seen
1: the, the fourth. W- what is the one where he is on the really tall building <laughs> that he's like going and he's like in Dubai or something?
0: Ghost Protocol.
1: Yes. So I saw that one. My family like rented it from like a blockbuster. We watched it in my house on DVD. And I don't really remember very much of it. (laughs) But I remember like viscerally hating it. And I remember (laughs) Tom Cruise, like walking through things rare very quickly and like thinking he was a spy and thinking to myself, everybody in this mall knows that he's a spy. He looks utterly (laughs) ridiculous. Like, you know, billowing through these places. And then I also remember there being a sandstorm and thinking that some, and really not liking that part as well, but I don't really know why. <laughs> and that <laughs> is the like, extent oh, of my sad. knowledge. Yeah. On the mission. and Well, I think it like, didn't make sense. I don't know. There was some reason why I didn't like it, but I can't tell you what it is now because yeah, I haven't
0: not, seen it. Man. You just hate having fun. I don't know. I've been thinking about this ever since I found out you didn't like this movie. And I'm just trying to figure out what it is about these films that just like turn you off so so viscerally. You like have such an anger in your soul (laughs) for Tom Cruise. I mean, I have also
1: been thinking about this because that you were like, Matthew, you're a snob. You only like, you know, snobby (laughs) movies. But I really liked Skyscraper, which I feel like is not a snobby movie. So I'm I'm trying to like go through the movies that I like and dislike. And I feel like, there's a couple of different through lines. One, I feel like I I want the movie, if it's an action movie, in my action movies, I want it to be inventive in some way. Like I want there to be some pieces of it or multiple pieces of it that feel like new and different. So like, don't just give me a car chase because I've already seen a car chase. Like do something interesting or new with that in some way. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that, for me you have to either be and this is why i think you and i both disliked three billboards it's like you either you you can either be outlandish or you can be realistic but you can't like try to be half of each and then expect me to like go along with it and i think there was a lot of that in this one where it was like this wasn't Kingsman or something that was like really or a skyscraper or something that was like really fun. And you're like, oh, this isn't like realistic, but it's fun. But it also wasn't like a straight, like serious drama action movie either. It was like kind of right. like it like wanted to be both. And I was sort of like eh about it.
0: Okay, so I have a Q and A session for you. Do you like fast? Do you like the Fast and the Furious movies? Like, where do those fall? I have Are actually
1: you? never seen one of those, so. I'm so-
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, that is crazy. Okay, I can't dwell on that. But one of these days, we're going to watch Fate Nine or whatever it is coming out, and and we'll have to revisit this topic. But. Of them? <laughs> there have been eight, yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you're missing that. I mean, it's wild that you've not seen any of them. I know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, what about this? Do you like? Do you like any Tom Cruise movies? Like, did you like Edge of Tomorrow? I actually
1: really did like Edge of Tomorrow, and I think maybe well, that was a fun like movie because it was so different, and Emily Blunt's in yeah. it, and she's great. I also yeah. really liked Jack Reacher, the first one. I thought that was a oh, fun premise. Oh,
0: okay, okay. And what about J.J. Abrams? Because you love Lost, but do you like his movie stuff? Um,
1: Yes, I would say yeah. I mean, I love Super 8. I mm-hmm. did not particularly like the Star Trek movies, but I think that's more because I'm just not a Star Trek person. Well, I'm trying to think. And I didn't see the third Mission Impossible, but I love like Fringe. <laughs> I loved Lost, so.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'm still really at a loss for <laughs> for where you draw the line on certain things. And it's not even that, like, I get it. I don't necessarily love every dumb action movie I see. But you, like, hated this movie. Y-
1: well, yes. The more I, <laughs> I, I really hated it last night after I watched it, the more oh. I was thinking about it today, I feel like I can give it a lot of props for various things about it.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: but i just didn't so like this movie one is beautifully shot there are so yes. many like awesome visuals in it and so many cool scenes i mean they're mm-hmm. shooting in london they're shooting in paris they're shooting at what where's the last place um cashmere and in all three of those like the action scenes are gorgeous and you can tell they're not like green screeny action scenes like they were actually yeah. in these places when they were filming it and i do really appreciate when an action movie like is on location and it's not 100 percent cg and i right. thought that that really paid off in this movie a lot that you had these really cool shots that were in real places
0: yeah and not only like you know film there it's like tom cruise does all his own stunts he's very insistent that he does everything <laughs> his character does so it all does have that really realistic feel to it and like very it feels very present and i think that helps in creating these shots that become really dynamic and interesting yes
1: i i that's what i was gonna say too that you have the like it like if you watch taken or something those act those <laughs> fight scenes are so choppy because it's like it's a stunt double and not him and he really and right. like everything they're doing is so unrealistic that they have to kind of like chop it together in these like millisecond bits and this yeah. like there's that scene where he's running along the roof i think it's in london and you just see like all yeah. of london in the background and he's just running for a good like three or oh, four yeah. seconds and it's such a great shot so there were definitely yeah. moments like that that i was like very into and thought were were really cool. And I also liked some of the characters a lot, but, but I felt overall, it felt to me like if you were brainstorming spy movie and had to come up with, you know, like seven things that would be in a spy movie, that that's literally all they put in this movie that you're like, um, okay, uh, let's see uh, nuclear weapon, um, arms dealer, uh, car chase, uh defuse a bomb. Um, okay. There's a deal at a party. Uh, there's a roof chase. There's a, somebody <laughs> on a motorbike. It's like all of the exact same things that you've seen in 9 million other spy movies. And while Yes, like the motorcycle chase in this movie is probably better than any other motorcycle chase in a movie I've seen. It wasn't more interesting than any other motorcycle chase I've seen. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I can work with this. I'm really glad that you've kind of seen the light about maybe why this movie's gotten so much credit and so much praise. And I think that's the thing I walked away from is this movie to me felt like Mission Impossible finally found its stride and it's really interesting cuz I have seen every Mission Impossible and I just feel like I need to educate you a little yeah, bit so give me the w- I think what's going yeah, on in if this we series. just go back <laughs> yeah so it starts 22 years ago um, the first oh one came God. out in 1996 and it's you know it was based on this TV show from the 60s i guess and that's where the iconic music came from but it was updated by you two actually some of the bandmates recreated the music and this movie it was if you watch if you went from watching fallout to going back and watching mission impossible they're two totally different movies like mission impossible is really like dark lit very ominous music kind of like lots of staring and contemplating and it just feels like a lot more shadowy you know And not as polished and shiny and, like, ooh, action, you know? so More of a spy movie? Well, so that's the thing is people were disappointed that it wasn't, like, a spy movie where they keep it very subtle and you're not supposed to be seen. There were, like, major action sequences. So it has, like, the whole thing starts out with this impossible missions force, the IMF. Mm -hmm. It has, I mean, it was a crazy cast. It was, like... So Ethan Hunt, obviously, Tom Cruise, and then John Voigt is the leader. And there's this beautiful French actress named Emmanuel Biat, who is the who's the wife of John Voigt somehow. I mean, she's like 40 years his Makes Sense in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning of the movie, they're doing this sexy, like they have to sneak someone out of a party or something, then everyone is just picked off one by one they all just die brutal deaths except for tom cruise who is then framed as this mole who killed everyone so he has to go on the run which is a trend you see in every movie basically in the mission impossible series and it turns out that john voight's character is actually the mole and he comes back from the dead and they do a lot of the face masks iconic like ripping off stuff (laughs) and so there is like Some loud action sequences, especially in the end where it ends up, there's a helicopter that's dragged into a train tunnel and blows up in a, in a big way. So Mm. there was complaints that it was like too actiony, but ultimately looking back, it was also very, like very slow moving. It was very much a movie of the nineties, you know, it fit in there with even like Jurassic Park where you just have like a lot more talking than maybe you do in today's action movies and so that was the first one and people like really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously they were allowed to make a second one, but it was also kind of seen as well, it's not really that smart of a film. There's a lot of cool action and there's a lot of cool acting, but the storyline, the script isn't all there. And so then you have Mission Impossible 2, which is just like crazy. Thandi Newton is in it. Oh, she stars her. as this woman who yeah you should watch it because so this movie comes out in 2000 anyways it has like that really weird like like the electric blue coloring to it you know like there's a lot of like screen (laughs) like um
1: blue lens flare i think is what it's called
0: yeah (laughs) yeah the lens flare a lot of a lot of like loud music and it was directed by john woo who directed face-off so kind of like that style if you ever saw
1: is nick cage in mission impossible too because i would be more into if that was
0: no i know no it's sandy newton and doug ray scott who's kind of i don't know if you know him he's not been in a ton but he was like this british guy who always plays this grumpy dude and in this movie he's the he's the villain who stole this epidemic and the cure so that he could release the epidemic and then make money selling the cure and bandies is brought on by tom cruise because they have like a romantic connection he's like you need to spy on him and so she seduces the villain and then he finds out and so he gives her this sickness and then she thinks she has to die and then tom cruise works and against the clock to basically These save her
1: sound very convoluted which I feel like the plot yeah, this yeah. last one, I was also sort of like, uh, wait, what's going on? Who's doing that? Oh, oh, okay. Oh okay. yeah. <laughs> oh yes. I guess like, right. goes- is that sort of the, the kind of, um, vibe that's in all of them?
0: Yeah, well, that's what's interesting is so Mission Impossible, whether it started out meaning to do this or not, it always had a different director for each movie. Tom Cruise kind of wanted each movie to have a different feel and none of them really lined up to the previous movie. Like it didn't really matter what had happened in the previous movie. It kind of just picked up and a new chapter of Ethan Hunt's life until you get to the most recent, which is a direct um, sequel to Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And so, so yeah, for a while, it's like it takes every... A movie comes out every five years. It always has a different director, a different score, um, composer. And in Mission Impossible 3, which is 2006, that's when J.J. Abrams first gets involved. And this was actually his, like, directorial debut. This was the first movie he had done after many successful television shows. And so... He, you know, J.J. Abrams is known for his love of, like, characters and, like, his interest is more on character development, maybe. And it was interesting because Mission Impossible 2 didn't do so hot. And so no one really wanted the movie and Dandy Newton was invited back and she's like, no, I don't want to. Good call. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was supposed to go to David Fincher to direct it. And he was like, no, this is too much of a mess. And Kenneth Bronig was supposed to be in it. And Scarlett Johansson was signed on at one point and they eventually backed out. And so Tom Cruise was like, listen, I need you to do this movie. Here's your first directorial role. Will you do it? And he's like, okay. And he brings on Michael Giacchino for the music, and Mission Impossible Three is where you get into the like relationship of Ethan Hunt. So before he was sort of the cipher who's just like in and out, just like whatever. I'm I'm saving the world, but in Mission Impossible Three, that's where you like get to see him in love with Michelle Monaghan's character, who you see in. Fallout, who's his wife in Mission Impossible Three. They're engaged to be married. And this movie has like everyone. This is where Simon Pegg shows up as like the I don't know what his role is necessarily. Sort God of like
1: kind of <laughs> Yeah. Is the frigging uh Luther is he in all of these?
0: Oh, yes. He's the only one to be in all six Mission Impossibles, which is sort of funny because he's not the strongest actor. I don't think anyone (laughs) believes that. But he just kind of lucked out in finding this role and getting... Selected to go along with each new one I guess he has nothing else going on <laughs> yeah.
1: He was dressed like Lou Bega The entire movie And I was like what are these outfits yeah. You look like you're about to sing Mambo Number 5 And then all of the scenes yeah. at the end Where he was talking with the wife And had to say things for an extended period <laughs> of time That weren't just like one liners over an intercom I was like no yeah. we should, You should have given this dialogue to somebody else <laughs> Like he cannot handle it This is not good for oh,
0: him He's so so it's like he's trying though you know he's really reaching in there for the emotion and yeah. it's sort of like that's his characters he's like the soft-spoken friendly like sidekick dude who's just the dependable best friend and Maybe, but the really whole doesn't second do half, i was
1: like oh my gosh they should have just they should have <laughs> just shot him at the beginning well, should have let him die <laughs> would have saved us a whole <laughs> oh. lot of trouble there
0: yeah, but no, he's in Mission Impossible 3. Simon Pegg shows up. Lawrence Fishburne is like running the IMF. Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain. Carrie Russell shows up as part of the team. And Aaron Paul is oh like gosh. in the movie.
1: This is so many people.
0: Yeah, no, it was a good one. I mean, it was about him trying to like avoid his past because obviously he's kind of quit. He's engaged to be married. He'd to someone who doesn't know about his spy life. And then his spy life catches up with him and he has to save her. And eventually at the end of the movie, they decide to run off and get married still. So um, it topped the box office, but this was right around the time that like Jason Bourne movies had started. It was right when the Bond movies had been Mm -hmm. resurrected. And so people were like expecting more of the like sexy, serious, brooding spy type and that's never been mission impossible's forte and so even with jj abrams trying to drum up the character interest it was seen as sort of like played out and it i don't think i think it was the one that did the least well in the box office so it was then another four or five years until ghost protocol came out which came out in 2011 and i saw you did you <laughs> saw this one so it was produced by jj abrams but it was directed by <laughs> randomly enough brad bird who He directed Incredibles. (laughs) And so,
1: yes. And I liked those movies. Yeah.
0: So, this is his first live action film. And I know you didn't like Ghost Protocol, but I think Brad Bird, one of the best parts of The Incredibles is the fact that he makes these really interesting action sequences. And, like, especially Incredibles 2, it felt like one of the best action movies. And it just happened to be a cartoon because there's like so much like dynamic action really interesting shots and just cool cool sequences and so you hate on him running down the tallest building in the world but i mean it was a big deal it was exciting it was cool it was interesting and i think a lot of people were turned on to mission impossible again because this movie is finally like moving into a big big picture style where it's like not only is it bigger better huge stunts it's also much more focused on a global gotta save the world type of thing instead of the other ones which had been very like oh this is affecting me personally i have to fix this issue and so this is the first movie where it becomes like it's a nuclear threat which is a cliche but i mean that's the world we live in you know
1: (laughs) yeah we can't have any other threats other than nuclear.
0: Yeah, that's what we're scared of. And so
1: It's that and the Indoraptor. Those are the two <laughs> things that could be coming after you in the night.
0: I know. So it's like, I mean, this is about him basically Hunt is doing the spy stuff and Jeremy Renner shows up and He's in that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I saw that movie and I don't remember him in it. And then it seems like the fifth one is basically the same cast as this. It's number six, right? It's mostly the same people.
0: Yeah. So the fifth one comes out in 2015. And this is where Christopher McQuarrie directs. And he co-writes. And he's a famous screenwriter. He won Best Original Screenplay for The Usual Suspects. So he's like a very good writer.
1: And Lou Bega just couldn't quite get the dialogue that he was <laughs> yeah. given. Uh, uh, he just
0: didn't, oh, Oscar-worthy make it
1: dialogue, and just couldn't I quite know. get it with that hat on. Yeah.
0: But what's interesting about the Mission Impossible movies and what you can kind of like tell by these convoluted plots, people kept complaining about, is that until like the first thing that was written were these action sequences. So people just were like, "I want to do this action sequence," and found a way for the plot to finagle this action sequence mm. into it. That
1: makes a lot of so, sense.
0: Yeah. So it was very action driven. And Christopher McQuarrie was sort of the same thing where he's like, you know, I just thought like once something's on the page, you're you're stuck in it and you can't really like explore anything else. So he's someone who like, Films basically like By feeling and then like People will be like well what am I reacting to Like what is this and he's like I don't know You just do it and I'll make you get to that Point basically (laughs) So it sounds like really weird And sort of like woo woo stuff I would hate working for him but
1: Tom Cruise likes it he's like this is like Scientology (laughs)
0: Yeah exactly because he was the Only one who was Invited back for the sequel And never before. And Christopher McQuarrie was sort of like, oh, I don't want to upset people. It seems like this is a thing where you have a new director each time. like That's your setup. And Tom Cruise was like, well, these things are made to be broken and I want you to do the sixth one. So the sixth one ties directly to the fifth one. And the fifth one's plot is basically... It's a big action movie. There's a lot of crazy stunts. I mean in the very opening gotcha scene he's he's like hanging on the outside of this huge plane like literally oh, they yeah, filmed I it that from five thousand feet in the air yeah he refused to stunt double he had to do it all they like had like eight takes to get it right before the plane was like That's all you get. You can't do this anymore. And he also had to hold his breath for like six minutes or three minutes underwater for the sequence taking place in this big. I don't know. It was just like, it's a little crazy. But it all leads directly into Fallout, which is where we found ourselves watching it. And what you saw is like, oh, this is a convoluted plot. It was actually like very (laughs) clear compared to the other ones. Oh my gosh. And it kind of like. To me it was the strongest of the six because one you had this sort of continuity between the stories which helped which helped ground you I guess in the fallout storyline a little better but it also had someone who cared about about the visuals right Christopher McQuarrie was very interested in having a action film that felt like a little more artistic so it wasn't just like let's make things blow up it was like how does this how does this action sequence tell the story for me you know yeah (laughs) so i mean i thought it was a good one but i'm interested to think to hear how you reacted to it never having seen any of the other mis yeah
1: i mean i didn't really have much trouble following along the plot and figuring out who these people were and their sort of relationships. I thought that part of the movie was pretty straightforward, especially in comparison to Ant-Man, which I felt like was (laughs) like a whole and, and infinity war both like people said like, Oh yeah, you can go see them without like, and you'll be able to be caught up. And I was like, no, there's so much going on here. I have no idea what's going on. And I've seen half of these movies. This one I've only <laughs> seen one of the previous movies can barely remember it and I still felt like I was yeah. fine throughout the whole thing. Right. Yeah, the characters I thought were all very sort of clear characters and their relationships were very clear. The the part that I found convoluted was like the m- mechanics of this person who has there's a scientist who made the nuclear weapons then there's uh, some guy named john lark who we don't know who he is but he's sort of involved in this and then oh the -hmm. character from the last movie what's his name solomon lane Mm -hmm. is in prison but he's also involved Then there's this shady group of people called the apostles then there's an arms dealer there was just so much going on i couldn't keep track of like okay who's doing what now who's bombing this person now what now what's going on here (laughs) And I, in the opening scene yeah. where, you know, uh, Tom Cruise gets the little book and it plays the message of here is your mission.
0: Yeah, And they're like, Ooh,
1: there's this group of people called the apostles. I was like, Oh, this sounds great. Like I'm all in on like a secret society of murderers <laughs> who are like maybe vaguely religious. Like this is great. But those people yeah. never showed up in the movie or like,
0: <laughs> like very small. well, they did, but yes. yeah, like,
1: in any big way. Like the fact that that was a society right. people was not brought up much at all.
0: And I was sort of right. like,
1: um, oh, I could have like, give me more of that, please. Like, that sounds more interesting <laughs> than whatever's going on when we got, maybe you can answer this yeah. question we're jumping around a little bit but when they got to the end of the movie and they're like there's two bombs and i was like Well wait wasn't there three of those like uranium things where did the third one go and i was like reading the wikipedia synopsis this morning and i still couldn't figure out where it went like did they get rid of it what happened to well the didn't
0: they one? give him one as like a as like a sign of good faith didn't they oh, did give they? him one of the
1: Maybe that's what happened. I it. think so. I was like, well, wait, where's the third yeah. bomb? Is the third bomb? In the... Like, where's the.
0: <laughs> they just didn't have time. I was like,
1: oh, no, there's only two. <laughs> okay, never mind. I'm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, what was interesting about this movie maybe was because I'm a lover of like the popcorn flick. I love Fast and the Furious movies, which are very unrealistic, very crazy, very much like the bigger, the better, the louder. And this movie felt like it kind of met the best of both worlds between like the born identity movies where it's all about character and then you have Fast and the Furious where it's all about action and this kind of met in the middle-ish and I think it was like serious than maybe the last movies had been because this was a little less flippant than like Rogue Nation where it was like oh sexy dresses and here's a fun little one-liner and this was like wow Ethan Hunt is really struggling with the choices he's made. Ethan Hunt is really like suffering because he feels so responsible and I was reading this interview with the director and he said he and Tom Cruise had like sat down and they really wanted to go somewhere darker for this movie and I was like, sort of curious as someone who hasn't seen the other ones necessarily. You saw one. Did this feel dark to you? Did it feel like a little more brooding and serious? Or well, it didn't no? feel
1: jokey. There wasn't a lot of jokes and punchlines yeah. throughout. So I thought, I mean, it it seemed more of a serious spy action movie than it did like one of, then you know, something like Kingsman that has a lot more of like joke elements to it. Right. Or even something like. The Avengers where there's lots of like Funny one liners this didn't really have a ton Of those I feel like the main funny joke In the movie was also in the trailer That like I'm jumping out a window Like give me a second And since (laughs) everyone had seen that a million times When that came up in the movie There was like two people who were like Kind of giggling and then that was it Like it didn't get like (laughs) get the laugh that it deserved because we'd seen it 15 times
0: yeah well i'm glad you brought up the trailers because i was sort of thinking about this too and this trailer was very played it was in every single movie i've been to probably for like six (laughs) months at least and so and i actually i really enjoy the trailer i think the trailer with the imagine dragon song is one of the best trailers this year where it's like the music lines up perfectly to like henry cavill like Recharging yes. his His
1: arm. Yes Such a good <laughs> yes.
0: job Yes And I thought It was such a good trailer But I was sort of worried Like they were showing too much And yet When I walked out of the movie I was like Wow I was surprised By how much I didn't know Going into it It felt sort of Refreshing for me
1: I felt like it didn't really tell you very much plot wise, but I knew what action scenes were coming. Like, I was, when it got to the end and they were in the helicopter, I was like, okay, I know both of these helicopters are going to crash because I've seen that scene yeah. of like Tom Cruise trying to get his seatbelt off while the other helicopter comes <laughs> like rolling down the hill toward him. But I thought yeah. that it was, that there was enough like plot wise that you could really sink your teeth into. What would you say was like your favorite part of this movie? like what was the best like scene or character oh, or sequence man. that you really liked cuz i have a couple things that i did
0: okay well first off i mean i know rogue nation had only come out like i think it was 2015 so a few years but i was just like really caught off guard by the opening <laughs> sequence like the gotcha moment where he loses the uranium and then it In cuts the to yeah and then it cuts to the bombs going off and you're like oh my mm-hmm. gosh They actually like failed for once and you're just kind of like lost in this moment of like oh my gosh like ethan hunt must feel so bad i can't believe this how do you like carry on a movie when there's just a nuclear attack on three cities and then when (laughs) when they like call it and the walls fall and wolf blitzer comes over and you get that epic (laughs) face mask rip off it was just like it was just like yes this is so good i forgot like i love it you know (laughs)
1: Yeah, I was actually slightly disappointed when that happened because when the (laughs) when the bombs went off, I was like, "Oh, this is a good start, like really raising the stakes here at the beginning." And then when they were like, "Oh nope, now that that happened," (laughs) then I felt. And then me, like, not keeping up, like, trying to figure out what's going on in this plot, a couple of times in the movie, forgot that that, like, didn't actually happen. And so they'd be talking (laughs) about, like, the bombs, and I'd be like, but wait, they already set the bombs up. Oh, no, they just lied and said they set the bombs up. They actually haven't done it yet. Like, Matthew, keep it together.
0: I think it's just, like, so hard to be surprised these days by movies that it just, like, felt good to get got. It was like, man, they really got you.
1: Yeah, I did not see that coming at all. I loved and we'll see if you have a similar reaction or not i thought the the white widow or whatever that character was i thought she was great one because she she reminded me of marjorie tyrell from game (laughs) of thrones and that is like the like the most perfect woman imaginable for me like like that is like who i want to marry and she was like the same like level of like um like brilliant evil beautifulness and so i was just like enraptured whenever she was on the screen like whipping her knife yeah, out. yeah she was people.
0: having a lot of fun i know i thought she was great i i kind of wish i think that's where the plot got a little convoluted for me when oh, yeah when they were like oh she's actually working for the cia and i was like well does that kind of take away some of the fun of her character? And, like, why does that matter right now? And it Mm -hmm. seems like they could have left her to have more to do in the next movies because she did just seem like such a fun character who is just truly evil for the, like, sexiness of it. (laughs) Like, she's just, like, so happy.
1: (laughs) I was also disappointed when she wasn't in the entire second half of the movie. I was like, bring her back. She's great. She's my favorite.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I think what's great about these movies and especially these like last two is the women are never really like helpless. And oh no here you have like three female characters, I guess you have the white widow. You have, um, what's her character's name?
1: Rebecca, <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson? Ferguson. Ilsa.
0: Ilsa. And then you have his wife, um,
1: and you also have Angela Bassett. So really, there's four of them. Oh,
0: yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Angela was fine. I mean, she was on the phone for most of it. But
1: yeah, um, yeah. I'm Skype I calling thought it was really in like, to this, yeah, to this great
0: service underground. Yeah, I know. So it was like fun to see how these women acted as foils to Ethan Hunt, but never as like damsels. And they kind of like were doing their own thing and then. And then either got on board with Ethan Hunt or were kind of like, or like the White Widow, she's just like, bye. She just doesn't care. And so it was great to see like these women who were just characters, you know, it wasn't like they were there for Ethan Hunt. They just happened to be in the same universe dealing with the same nonsense. And so I think like that was part of my favorite was another one was the epically long paris sequence where it just like never stopped i thought it was so interesting because it felt so fluid and usually like you said a lot of those action sequences are very choppy and like and they just move really fast and this one was just like you were stuck in it for like a good half hour it was just like following him through paris as he's like running and then he's on a motorcycle and then he's like on a boat and then they're I loved it. I was just so swept up in it. I thought it was just such a great action sequence.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was It was a very beautifully shot and well-choreographed action sequence. I felt like there was nothing in it that I was particularly excited about or thought that was new in any way. Although <laughs> I did like the part where yeah. they got the truck stuck in the alley. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, the, yeah. <laughs> ah, this is the way to lose people, just get your truck <laughs> yeah. stuck and then they can't get around you. In the so I guess let's talk about Henry Cavill's character a little bit. I oh, know, yeah, Agent Walker, yeah. the bad guy, who he turns out to be what John Lark, John Locke, John Lark, John Lark, John Locks and Lark, Lark. Um, yeah. <laughs> what did you think about his character and that character arc, and then the twist at the end? Like, what were your thoughts on all of that?
0: Yeah. I wasn't surprised when he was the villain, like when it turned out he was Lark. I kind of feel like they told you really early on just because, I mean, the biggest clue was when he hands the phone to Angela Bassett and was like, you'll find all you need to know on this, whereas we had just seen the phone cracked, so you knew he was giving him a fake. And so I kind of like that they weren't like relying on this surprise, he's bad. It was just sort of accepted that he was because everyone knew that, I mean... Going into it, you kind of could tell from the trailers that he was the, if not the villain, he was the, (laughs) he was Ethan Hunt's foil. So I kind of liked that we didn't have to waste time pretending he was a good guy. I don't necessarily like him as an actor, and I don't think he did that well. I mean, in the first half, I guess, when he was trying to be like a good guy, he didn't do that well. Once it was just about him being a muscular dude, he did fine. So
1: yeah. I really liked him in this but I thought he did I thought he was a fun character because he's so big and so strong in comparison to <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise who's you know I don't know whatever and also yeah. like a lot older than Henry Cavill. Yeah. But I felt like they set up this character as like he kills all of these people. He's so tough. And then I felt over and over and over again, we just saw him sort of get like like screw things up or get beat by people. And I and I wanted him to have a scene where (laughs) he was like, I am the like I am huge. I am going to like wreak havoc in some way, shape, or form. Right. And he really just kinda got done in by everybody. When they're in that fight scene. Where they're underground, Alec mm-hmm. Baldwin is like punching him in the face for a couple of shots, and I was like, "This is ridiculous! Like, just choke Alec Baldwin out! Yeah. Like, he's seventy years old; he's playing Donald Trump probably without a bodysuit. and yeah. like, like you can definitely take him." So I was annoyed yeah. that he wasn't like as mean as I think they set him up for, but I liked him as a character, and I liked that he actually had a mustache and didn't have to have it CGI'd off.
0: yeah no the mustache was a great character i really enjoyed it and i think what was fun for him especially was that it was just like the anti-superman and i hated the superman movies i really just think they're so boring and dry and he's so dull as this like Oh, I'm a perfect dude, and I feel for everyone thing. So well, it was and nice ben to see him. In so that
1: also <laughs> yeah. that doesn't help either. That doesn't help. <laughs> I don't
0: like him. But it was good to see him play sort of this guy you're meant to hate. And I loved, like, I loved how they just had this throwaway scene with them where they do the um, parachuting out of the plane. Oh, yeah, and what the was that? <laughs> it was just like. It just had no bearings on the plot, but they just did it anyways. And it was just sort of like you kind of thought, oh, that's what the whole movie is going to be. But it turned out to just be this one off of like random, funny, weird action. <laughs> it was I think it was meant to be like a red herring about his character because my husband and I were both like, wow, I thought he was going to be this smart bad guy. But instead, he's just this dumb oaf." I think it was just trying to play us off a little, maybe.
1: My confusion was, like, why did they have to parachute in anyways? They were parachuting into, like, the middle of Paris, where you can get to without any trouble. And then to a party that had hundreds of hundreds of people in there. I was like, why did you have to, like, come into the roof? And then the roof was glass. Like, nobody would have noticed two random parachuters, like, collapsing on the top of this glass roof.
0: yeah that's a good point i uh i feel like they explained it but i don't remember what they said so
1: yeah as with lots of things, i'm sure they had their
0: reasons matt yeah they definitely definitely did (laughs) some
1: ant manning in this that's a term that i have now uh coined ant manning (laughs) where they like just explain the next part of the plot like oh and here is how these bombs work we're gonna explain it to you right now just so that you can like watch us do it later
0: Well, what else would they, how else would they do it, Matt? They have to get the information across.
1: It's just a lot of, like, exposition, and now we're doing it. Exposition, and now we're doing it. (laughs) It's like a back and forth. There's no, like, overarching anything. It's it's like these bombs, these bombs can't be destroyed. Oh, wait. Yes, they can. <laughs> if we let the clock start ticking and then you go clip a wire in this bomb and I clip a wire at this bomb and he's already pulled <laughs> something out of the remote control, then that's when the bombs uh, don't go off. And you're like, OK, well, this is really going to happen. So aside, I just thought I just remembered this. When they're at the village in the end and Ilsa is looking uh. for the bomb and Solomon Lane like Solomon knocks Lane. her out in the house and then she comes yeah. to and she's tied up. That is the fastest that anyone has ever been tied up to a chair in, <laughs> in like the history of the world. It was literally 20 <laughs> seconds. And it, you know it's 20 seconds because it's on the the bomb <laughs> timer and she's like tied up in a chair with like six different ropes and various knots, I was like, "Damn! Like he is fast. He's like a Boy Scout, Eagle Scout going on here."
0: Yeah. Okay. I did not notice that, but now that you point that out, that's true. That that would have had to happen very quickly. But <laughs> maybe that's his skill. Maybe he picked it up in like Boy Scouts. You know, is how to tie a fast knot. Yeah. Or I in mean, prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Learn to tie people up real quick.
0: Yeah, it's a useful skill you should know. So I think it makes sense, right? It's just, (laughs) it's it's totally believable. I thought it was really, I really liked the ending sequence because it wasn't just about Ethan Hunt, like, dealing with that. There was a lot going on that was really interesting. And I thought the fight with Ilsa and, um, simon Pegg's character and solomon lane where they're in the house they're just trying to survive so that they can undo this bomb without knowing if ethan hunt has even done his part yet i thought it was a really good sequence and it was really stressful and and there's just so much happening that felt really dynamic and interesting so you never got like bored and it wasn't like you're like well I know Ethan Hunt's going to do this so there's no stress cuz you also had to count on these other characters to do it too so
1: yeah I I did like that I thought that and, and I thought the added element of the fact that Simon Pegg was like being hung and they were like kept knocking yeah. things out from underneath his feet. I thought that was a fun part too. And then, you know, you have the <laughs> added tension of keep going back to Lou Bega sitting there next to the other bomb, you know, just kind of like <laughs> randomly saying bits of dialogue. That was also fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean the helicopter chase was so mesmerizing because yeah, you've seen like helicopter chases, but that was just like that was wild it was crazy well then he
1: got a hook in the head at the end and i was all into that
0: oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and henry i mean john lark got lit on fire and became two-faced and i
1: literally wrote that in my notes i was like (laughs) two-faced yeah
0: this is the real origin and then i really liked that it was like they couldn't communicate and they just had to like act on faith that they'd have to cut this bomb at, at one second. And and obviously you knew that he would pull through, but but I liked that they didn't show him like f- reaching the reaching the um, remote control and yanking it out in just yeah. the right second. It kind of just was focused on everyone else, which I think added to the emotional weight of the moment because it was like, oh man, these people are going to, they're going to be eviscerated by an atomic bomb in just a second. But I thought it was a neat, I think like overall that was the thing I liked was that there are a lot more emotional stakes and whether you thought they were like real or not, it felt like a lot more mature than previous mission impossible movies. And it like had more, um, weight to it, you know, whether or not like Megan or, um, whether or not the wife had to come back. Like, I don't know. It was nice, I guess, to give that closure that was sort of like awkwardly not closed in Mm -hmm. the last movies. But it was also like, man, like what are the odds? You know, it's just like, it was nice that Ethan had to face like in such a real way that even though he thought he'd saved the day for this woman he loved and like got her out, she still wound up in the worst position possible because of her relationship to him. And I thought that was like, a brutal moment for any spy, you know, (laughs)
1: like, oh, that's the worst. I I really like Michelle Monaghan. I think that she, she was in source code, which is a movie that I don't know if anybody else likes, but I really liked. And I (laughs) kind of keep like waiting for her to have a big breakout role in something. And she sort of never does. She's always just like the wife or whatever, but I think she's she's good in this, especially when most of her dialogue was up against, uh, friggin' fedora at, over the bomb.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, she did good. She really carried those yes. scenes. But I thought it was like, what else helped the movie was this beautiful score that was yes. very like emotional without being too cheesy. And there was a lot more strings and like character to the music than you have in the other films, which is very focused on the theme of Mission Impossible. And mm-hmm. this finally added its own twist on it and kind of like, oh, I just like loved it. I was just like, it's so great great when you're in a movie and you're like, wow, this music is really good. It like adds instead of distracts and <laughs> and it's interesting and helps the story instead of just like I don't know, drives the action along. So yeah. I think the movie yeah. did a lot of things right. And <laughs> I feel like you've slowly maybe come to appreciate little pieces of it that maybe you didn't in the moment. I I mean I appreciate
1: <laughs> it being made. And I think it's made well. (laughs) Is it going to top my year-end movie ranking list? No. (laughs) I think it's still going to sit in the same place that I put it last night. But yeah, it was fine. There were elements to it that I really liked. Overall, I just found it fine. It was sort of boring for me.
0: I mean, what's crazy is like Tom Cruise is like, what, fifty six. Yes. And that's he looks insane. like he's 42. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, just watching him run through London, like watching Tom Cruise run in anything he's ever done is interesting and entertaining. But watching him in this movie, it's like... <laughs> and
1: he ran out lot. Man, he
0: is... <laughs> yeah. He broke his ankle doing it. So it was bad. He like They had to stop production for a while. They thought the movie couldn't be made and then he just like picked himself up again and it's just like that's what's crazy about tom cruise is i don't know if it's the scientology thing or if he's just this if he's just this daredevil who like gets off on it but he thinks he's invincible he thinks he's like i think he doesn't think he can die like i really don't i think he enjoys the challenge of risking it all
1: I saw a tweet that said that Tom Cruise is actually just what? Who is it? Christian Bale in the Prestige, and that it's just a bunch <laughs> of twins that he, like he keeps bringing out and killing yeah. in these action scenes. But yeah, well, do you have any other final thoughts on the movie, or should we get into love it or hate it?
0: Yeah, I mean, love it or hate it. Let's see. I've done a lot of um, of movie watching this week, a lot of TV watching, but um, for love it or hate it, I have to say. I am really surprised by how much people love Mamma Mia. And I just, I don't get it. I thought we all agreed that the first one was horrifically bad. Like, that's where I thought we ended.
1: I i didn't mind it.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Is this your love it? Did we have no, the same content no, of I, different I, responses? I haven't seen
1: the second one.
0: You're coming out as a Mamma Mia fan? <laughs> no, I mean, okay. But... No, I tried rewatching it because I was like, well, Mamma Mia 2 is getting some good press. Everyone is talking about it. Maybe we'll just go see it cuz we have movie pass. LOL. Yeah. <laughs> but so I watched Mamma Mia again on Netflix and it's just I don't know. I guess it doesn't speak to me in any real way. I think Meryl Streep overacts for the first time in her career. I thought it was so weirdly shiny and bright and shimmery. And the storyline has always been really irritating to me. And also, half the cast can't sing. Oh, yeah. Probably like three quarters of the time. Like, the song... Anytime Meryl Streep sings is like Ugh. bad, but also... Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> oh gosh, no. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember what song they duet, but I've like tried to block it from my memory because it is just so painful. And so I was just like shocked to see how much people love Mamma Mia too. And is it just because it's better or is there like a nostalgia attached to Mamma Mia now? Or like I just uh, struggle to understand how it performs so well how it became like a cultural moment, and why people are giving this weird, <laughs> weird saga a chance. But I guess I'm talking to a Mamma Mia believer. So I think that the,
1: the main thing is that people like ABBA music. And so this yeah. movie is basically just a lot of ABBA songs put together. <laughs> And the ones that, like, either Amanda Seyfried is singing or that are, like, sung by a group of people so you can't really hear the bad ones, I think are fine. (laughs) And those are the most upbeat ones. It's like the stuff in the second half of the movie. I've only seen the movie once, but isn't the second half of the movie sort (laughs) of, like, all of the slow songs where they're like, oh, my daughter's getting married. (laughs) Oh, you're my daughter. Like, that could be bad.
0: There's a few. Yeah, I mean... They sing Mamma Mia. Sparrow Street sings Mamma Mia in, like, the first 15 minutes, and it's very <laughs> painful. But it's not there a lot <laughs> of, like, like,
1: other people singing that with her? At least, like, maybe after the first, like, verse or yeah, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chorus behind her. It's, yeah, I guess the second half slows down. I just, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing seemed weird to me, but I'm... I'm just confused that Mama Mia 2 got more love because doesn't it have worse ABBA songs? Like all the good ones were already done, right? I think
1: they just redo a lot of the ones from the first <laughs> thing, but did instead they? of Meryl Streep singing it, it's Lily James singing that. Who's the better singer? I don't know. I haven't seen it. She I is. probably will go see it at some um, point just because. But yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't. I did not think we needed another one i did not necessarily understand the super excitement behind it but i was like hey i like abba music and you know i'll i'll go watch you you know people run around on docks and sing some (laughs) songs
0: Well, I guess. I mean, I just was very confused, but I'm glad people are happy for it. I just hope there's not a third one. I don't know how there could be any more music for a third one. Honestly,
1: I mean, they, they just, it's just it the just same songs that. again. Mama Mia. It's Amanda Seyfried's daughter comes back in the third one. Yeah, <laughs> Made yeah by Debbie mean... Ryan, who used to be fat but now <laughs> is It'll be
0: great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what about you? Love it or hate it?
1: Um. So I have a love it.
0: Oh, good.
1: Yeah. Um. So in preparation for what I originally thought this podcast was going to be, <laughs> I watched the first episode of Castle Rock, and I didn't. Yeah. I haven't watched any of the other ones, but the first one I think is really good. Okay. And I think that you would be very into it, Shelby.
0: Mm. I thought that it was
1: going. <laughs> I know we don't- <laughs> our tastes aren't on the same level yeah. usually. <laughs> I thought it was going to be very, like, like, gory horror kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Spooky. And it really wasn't. It was much more like a Lost-type show than any kind of horror show. Maybe that's because, um, what's his name, Terry Quinn, who plays John Locke, is in Castle Rock, so that makes oh. sense. But basically, the premise of it is that Terry Quinn John Locke was the warden of this prison in town, and for a you know dozens of years. And on his retirement day, he goes and kills himself. And the mm. new warden finds that buried in the basement of this prison is uh, Bill Skarsgård character the guy who plays it right in like a cage down in the basement they don't know who he is they don't know why he's there but he's locked up and this and the previous warden john Locke, had locked him up there and so basically i think the hmm. the premise of the first season is sort of around the town and the warden and these like flashbacks to what was going on with this guy who was, Yeah, who is like being kept hostage down in the basement. There's also a plot line that has to do with the guy down in the basement says that he wants this specific lawyer who used to live in the town, but doesn't anymore. So he has to like come back and, you know, is sort of investigating this case, but it's definitely a lot more of the sort of lost vibe of like, we're going to set up all these weird things at the beginning and then we're going to kind of see how they play out than anything that's horror related and also i think it's an anthology series or something where like this oh. season is 10 episodes and then i think the next season will be like different characters in the same town okay so i think that they'll get to the end of it so it won't be like lost where the mysteries just kind of unravel <laughs> forever i think that yeah. there actually is a plot going on oh so.
0: interesting okay okay well, maybe we'll have to do a finale an episode on the finale. It is it getting like are people watching it? Is it getting positive feedback? Well, I think it's I think it
1: has been getting positive feedback. I've only watched the first yeah. episode, so maybe the next couple are gonna take yeah. but <laughs> I will. I will keep watching it, and I will.
0: Yeah, keep just posted. keep you informed. Yeah, and
1: you apparently have enough time on your hands to be watching <laughs> Mama Mia, so maybe just cut that out and watch Castle. You're Rock. right.
0: I should have. I'm. Sh- I'm a hundred percent sure. I'd like anything better than Mama Mia. So
1: and and it's tr- you could watch this instead of the show, the fat shaming show as well. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: well, that's true. Is really Look a- at this. The stars are aligning. I guess I have to watch this <laughs> Stephen King. Hulu original. The first episode.
1: Good. That's all the endorsement <laughs> I can give it, but
0: Okay, that's great. That's a ringing endorsement. I'll definitely check it out. Yes. Thank you for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, do you have anything else or is this the end of episode 5? I think
0: this is it. We'll have to see what happens what starts trending on Twitter next time for our next episode. So, I'll see what I can drag you to.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll live in fear of the <laughs> twitter dragging me to a yeah. bad movie yeah what do you mean like us follow us leave us a comment subscribe follow us on social media
0: we're at p.s you're wrong
1: and we will uh respond to any of your comments that you leave us <laughs> literally so, and yeah. that will be great
0: yes yes anything
1: <laughs> we say we will respond to it in some way shape or form but yeah thanks for listening uh bye everybody
0: bye